Greetings and welcome back to C2 Live from Montreal. Um, guess what? I'm here with two of my favorite people in the world. Um, Ryan and Chris Dietert from Influential.co. Say hello, guys. Hey, thank, thank you so much. Hey. Oh, and uh, I appreciate it. That was very respectful. All right, gotcha. This is very cool. Um, so I'm, I want to jump right in. You know, sure. uh, I'll start with you, Ryan. You know, because I, I think part of the, your talk earlier and part of the ethos of what Influential is, is your experience as an influencer, which then got translated into a massive business now. Sure. Um, what holes did you spot, right? That you mm -hmm. And also... Uh, what was that graduation like from entertainer-ish to, yeah, yeah. to business person? Exactly. So yeah, the context is about six years ago, I was a, an influencer myself. I had 30 million followers on Twitter and Instagram. I have no talent. I'm not famous. No one knows the mug. Uh, and what I built was essentially a niche account. So picked out verticalized accounts like travel, automotive, fashion, and style, and figured out with the agencies like the OMDs and IPGs of the world or brands directly without data, without technology, without brand safety, they wouldn't open up their coffers of dollars. And it's very expensive to live in Los Angeles. I need to find a way to be able to, to live there and get all my friends involved as well. So this is a way for us to get past the idea of being a PR buy or a talent buy. It was a media buy, which has millions of dollars in digital um, coin from the major brands. Sure. Um, and you guys are father and son, right? <laughs> yeah, he is my father. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, brothers, obviously. Um, this, uh, this idea, you know, the whole theme this year at C2 is all about collisions, right? Um, people coming together, working together, collaborating and transforming their businesses and their lives. Um, but you two have been colliding, you know, for however old you are. <laughs> 30s. <laughs> What's that like, you know, working together as sort of co-founders, business partners, and that line between family, or is there a line? Like, Whenever he messes up, I go, Mom, he's doing it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mom Mom sorts out all issues. Nice. Um, but no, you She's know, it's, your C's, your uh, yeah, operations she, officer. Exactly. <laughs> yes, she truly is. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's really nice to have family. I, You know, I had a business. I had a PR company for 10 years before we started doing this and um you know to have somebody that like his family is is you know trust. you can be as as honest as could possibly be and you have the trust level so you know that has that translated into dealing with other partners investors you know the skills that you learned is working together and that level of honesty and like hey this is what we need to do and this is what we shouldn't be doing um has that translated into you as better business people outside of your your own yeah so it's Different uh, personalities uh, and different skill sets, um, and then applying up to the trust factor. So Chris is the chief communications officer. So he's all things PR, all things getting our name out in the branding world. Um, as you like to call, I'm the nuts and bolts guy. You're the you're the good times. <laughs> I'm the guy. good times guy. Yeah, I'm so, just nuts. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that there. <laughs> So, so it's, it's basically going to, uh, whether it's our investors or whether it's other people that are C-level people in our company, it's like we, we can speak with full uh, transparency about each other. And it, there's no emotion in all of this. Obviously, family has emotion. We just basically separate that between our, after the fact, like, all right, um, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll call you as my brother separately. But for right now, let's just do it right. as business partners. Um, so going back to the, the business aspect of this, you know, the partnership with IBM and uh, using artificial intelligence as part of this ecosystem. Yes, you spotted a problem. Why was AI the solution to that problem? Yeah, my favorite soapbox line to give is that social media is the largest crowdsourcing of public opinion in human history. If you can structure that, 
you can predict the future. So that's not possible with even 100 people in a room looking at all this piece of content. You have to get something, a tool that can look through billions of data points on a consistent scale to provide back insights that says that XYZ brand has a certain demographic or contextual relevancy or psychographic. With those different data points, you can then make better decisions as a brand marketer. It's interesting because there's so much that we don't understand about our, even the people who are in the industry don't really understand about it. And I don't know if there was a learning curve for the two of you. And uh, the follow-up question to that is, how do you go about communicating that value proposition to your brand partners? Yeah, so and when we say AI, it's and it's very important, especially in the, in the agency world, brand world, we're not replacing, this is not something that's going to replace the human element. It's not artificial intelligence, it's augmented intelligence. Mm -hmm. Human perception plus machine learning. So we go to brands or agencies and say, we can help you guys make better decisions. Um, we can do that through transparent data. We have no dog in the fight. Whether you pick this social media influencer or that influencer, it doesn't affect us. It's only based off of what your KPIs are or your, your goals are. And um, I guess when you look at the, you know, the idea, like there's a bunch of new social media platforms that are popping up um, all the time. Uh, how do you leverage your tools and your capabilities for those other platforms and 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 how do you even pick which yeah. which one you're going to like start to to work with to be honest it's actually usually the brands and agencies are the ones that get to kind of pick because when when money starts flowing to a certain platform that's when we start opening up that technology kind of api access to the to these locations and find influencers that apply so um snapchat came on the scene a few years ago uh and that came out of kind of not nowhere but definitely kind of grew in terms of uh validity and and dollars started flowing in from millennial type brands taco bells the world etc um and then that's when we go well we need to figure out a solution because and these influencers also make a lot of their decisions mainly it's do they, they want to create content but also they're smart they are now agnostic across all platforms. Might have been Twitter and Vine people back in the day. Now they're Instagram and Snap people because that's where the brand dollars are. So really, it's a it's very capitalistic and Darwinistic. Wherever the dollars are, people are going to go there because I was telling I was telling another reporter before um, the issue that uh, people seem to have on the brand side is they go is they think that influencers just happen to snap a few photos and they're done for the day. It's a full time job. They are creating bespoke content for video or imagery even and. Uh, um, just kind of live streaming. It takes full production type quality to make sure you have a big following. That has to be subsidized by somebody. Yeah. And right now, it's the appropriate brand per their audience. I mean, perception is such a big issue, like on both sides of the coin. Um, and from a communication standpoint, uh, you know, Influential has really done a great job of being positioned as a thought leader in the space. It is a first of its kind, but how do you go about, you know, from a communication standpoint, like just making it known that, hey, this is where we're going and why you should come on board? Yeah, well, I mean, there's been a paradigm shift in the last few years. When we first entered the industry, um, it was very much a talent model, and it was all about, you know, we represent these people, and the reason you should work with them is because we represent these people. And <laughs> right. what we instead did is said, we have no dog in the fight here. We're going to assemble, you know, a team of the best possible influencers, all of, you know, the leaders of their categories, and we're going to base our decisions based on, you know, the data that says we should work with these people, not because we represent them, but because they are the best for the brand. The brands are our clients. Um, so let's talk a little bit about online versus offline, because I think at, at some point, even though we talk about digital currency and like, you know, uh, influencers and so on and so forth, at some point, I want to know, does a shirt feel the way it looks in the, in the video? Um, so how, do you guys bridge the gap between 
creating activations offline as well as online. Yes, um, and so one of the things that's happened in the last, I'd say, almost eight months to, to, to a full year is that a lot of the campaigns that are running now, a brand or agency want to be able to track, did that ad that you see on Instagram or Facebook translate people walking into a store? So walking into a JCPenney at an OMD or walking at TJ Maxx at like Mindshare, um, we can actually map that back. Now it's available. It's existed in programmatic for years where you can map back who saw a banner ad and clicked on it and walked into a, a store. That now the physical world is now intertwined with the with the uh, the social world. So we're actually able to map back and say, great, of the 10 million people you identified and, and targeted on Facebook or Instagram, 100,000 actually walked into XYZ store to go try on a certain product. Now, there's certain limitations, obviously, like um, certain PII, personal identifying information, has to be anonymized and consented. You can't provide that information back willy-nilly. Uh, there's a whole bunch of um, methodologies to do that. Um, so I, I can't tell you if they actually went and tried on that specific sweater, right. but I can tell you they actually went into Forever 21 or some major store where the uh, ultimate retailer can provide back um, you know, an ROI effect on their social media. That's great. Um I think that also leads into this idea of trust, right? At some point, I'm a fan and I trust you enough to actually walk into the store. Um, but you guys are also enhancing trust, which mm -hmm. is an interesting yeah. value proposition. Just talk about like the human side of trust versus what the machine learning augmented intelligence might, might give us. I mean, ultimately, our platform is opt-in. So they get push notified, an influencer on their app and says, congratulations, Forever 21 wants to work with you. Um, here is the approximate brand brief. Here is your do's and don'ts. Here's your approximate dollar amount. Do you believe that your audience will think this is authentic and that you actually like this product or you don't? I mentioned before, we're, uh, and actually my, my favorite kind of tongue-in-cheek lines is that we're like the NSA of influencers. Good or bad, we know what they said in the not past. Not the NRA. No, not the NRA. <laughs> okay, NSA. double check. All right. Yeah, double NSA. Um, and and we, we can see if they've referenced that brand before. If they, if they, if they say... Um, uh, I, my favorite. I can't wait to have you know a, a, a Coke and a smile today, and then all of a sudden do a Pepsi campaign. People recognize that it's authenticity, and that exists to back to, to to brand marketers to say, here are the best people to align for your campaign. But then the influencers have to go. I believe in Nike versus Adidas or whatever the brand is, and my audience knows that I love that product, and that if I speak about it, my engagement won't go, drop off a cliff. I won't lose followers, and I also won't lose other brand deals because they saw that I picked a horse that didn't have any sort of engagement. Right. All right. I mean, you're almost single-handedly saving the influencer economy, right? Because if you think about it, you know, there's no there, the bubble has burst in some in a lot of areas where it's like, oh, and then you've got micro influencers, and you've got. Um, but what I want to ask you is just like, what's the difference between an influencer and a person who's popular? Can we do that? Difference between an influencer and someone who's popular. I mean, an influencer is actually someone who's a domain expert. They they know exactly what they they know, and they have the ability to permeate that through social. Whereas someone who's just well known is, you know, doesn't necessarily have that influence to actually cause people to make purchase decisions and to share it with their audiences as well. And do, do you find, especially like as whether you're coaching or being, having been an influencer yourself, I think that does, does the business side come second? Like, do, does anybody go like, I'm going to go and create an account and then we're, because I know you had a very strong business strategy when you were creating a lot of accounts back in the day. Sure. But, um, but I don't, I think most of us just like pick up a, a, our camera and start shooting pictures and posting it. Next thing you know, yeah, yeah. right. How much of that is planned versus opportunistic that, that you found? Uh, little Tay thing's pretty funny. I don't know if you want to jump on that, but yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there there are some instances like that where it's where it's very like put together and very like strategically thought out. I would say the majority of the biggest influencers that I know all told me that 
this all just was, you know, this all just happened to them. They, they loved what they were doing. They, they loved connecting with an audience. And at a point they found out, wow, this is actually marketable. I can make a lot of money doing this. That's great. Um, so uh, back to C2. Welcome to Montreal. Thank you. Uh, um, with this idea of collisions, what sort of collisions have you? You guys were here before, right? You've been. You've been no, this time. is our first ah, time. Oh well, yes. Welcome to, to, to Montreal. Thank you. Um, what sorts of collisions have you had? What's been the, the experience thus far, and, and have you had any transformative ones? Yeah, I mean, we've we've met so many great people since we've been here. Um, we've connected with some great people that we've known previously. Yes, Case yes, you point have here, obviously. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a phenomenal festival. Um, about a year and a half ago, I was first introduced, a friend of ours, Kathy Sharp Ross, uh, introduced us to some of the executives here. And what I found is every city that I was going to, because I'm a conference fanatic, was that these women were, were there and we were always partying together and always having such a great time. And I'm like, I like you guys. And they're like, we like you. It all and starts with a party. <laughs> exactly. That, that's my thing. And, and lo and behold, like once we actually like got to a deeper level and figured out what what they provide and what we do we're like wow this this could be really meaningful and i mean tonight today he actually ended up on the main stage and delivered a message to 1200 people and uh high five <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'll leave him hanging <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know which brother's in charge he was extra, yeah yeah extra I'm, I'm, yeah i'm a high five <laughs> and so you know obviously um we, we've gotten a great amount of value from this and um you know we look forward to hopefully returning in the future yeah um, what's, what's next as, just in the influencer economy? Like, it, is it going to go on and have we reached a tipping point? Are we going to see more influencers across niche categories? Like what are some indicators you see? And yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's now the scale game. So I, I was back in the days when I would fight for $5,000 budgets, um, as a PR budget, you know, maybe four or five years ago. Um, now we're in our average deal size in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for major brands. Um, and it really is a multi-billion dollar business that even the platforms themselves have embraced. On Facebook and Instagram, you can whitelist the post. So the influencer's native post of them holding up the product or talking about it. You can now target certain DMAs, certain household incomes, and pay the platform to get hyper-targeted. These different tool sets being provided by the platforms go, I need to get brands to spend more dollars. To go create their own bespoke content is very expensive. If I use influencers that can create it at mass scale for very cheap, they'll spend more dollars against the platform to hit their audience. So it's just the beginning. It's gonna be, it's gonna probably double every year for the next few years because ultimately we were all ad blind to the programmatic ads and display ads that happen in front of our videos. And if you can fast forward, pass through them and actually be inside of the content, that's truly valuable. That were, our things, the content that we watch, it's, it's all the James Bond films. It's the, usually the BMW or the Aston Martin in the actual film. That's the level of cool, not the ad before or after the film. Right, right. Well, thank you guys. You know, this is a great beginning and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like the trajectory and, uh, and you continued success. So thank you for joining us.